Welcome back to Worldview Matters. This is Ross, and I have my buddy Bob with me. We are continuing the discussion of Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven, on which the entire Christian faith rests. If this is a lie, everything about Christianity can be discounted. Welcome, Bob. Ross, it's great to be back with you. And, you know, you said it rightly. You know, almost every other, well, not almost, every other worldview sort of is based on philosophical underpinnings. You know, we we, we, we believe certain things about, about, about the cosmos. We believe certain things about, about history. We believe certain things about the makeup of man. But all of those are philosophical foundation points. But Christianity is different. Christianity makes the claim that Jesus was the Messiah. And as the Jewish Messiah came back from the dead... Of course, you and I are recording this during Easter week here, and uh, so we thought it might be good to, to maybe push pause on our series on the New Age religion, and because of the scheduling, talk about Christianity and what's so profound about, about this, this idea that the resurrection either did happen or it didn't happen. And Ross, you know, uh, in our previous episode, I read a a lengthy passage from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. I'd like to read a couple of other things. I, I sort of dug out of my notes that are not in the Bible, uh, but they, they sort of give the same idea of the absolute profundity of this event of the resurrection. Uh, this is a quote from William Lyon Phelps, who was for over 40 years uh, Yale's Distinguished Professor of English Literature. Um, he says basically this. This is a quote from 1925 from Dr. Phelps. He says, The whole story of Jesus Christ is the most important event. Uh, I'm sorry, the most important event of the whole story of Jesus Christ is the resurrection. It's encouraging to know that it is explicitly given by all four evangelists and told also by Paul. The names of those who saw him after his triumph over death are recorded. And it may be said that the historical evidence for the resurrection is stronger than for any other miracle anywhere narrated. For as Paul said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. And it's obvious that, you know, Dr. Phelps was probably um, uh, a believer. But here's someone who might not be classified as a theist. John Locke was a deist. But here's what John Locke, a famous British philosopher, says about the resurrection. It's truly of great importance in Christianity, so great there's another quote, Ross, by John Locke, the famous British philosopher, and he said, Resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity, so great that Christ being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. 
so that these two important articles are inseparable and in effect make one. For since that time, believe one and you believe both. Deny one of them and you can believe neither. So here's John Locke, an empiricist, who says, hey, I recognize something, that Christianity and the Messiahship of Christ rises and falls on the resurrection. So it's everything we've been saying. This is an incredibly important event. You know, you can use today's terminology and put it into to a context, maybe resorting to the the words of the proletariat as opposed to the bourgeoisie, but this isn't all in. God was putting it putting all on red nine, so to speak. You want to look at it from a gambling standpoint, which raises the question, do you think that Jesus, when he was on earth, knew that his father was going to uh, raise him from the dead? Or did he come as a man? Did he have any, was there anything that happened that made you believe that he was fully man, even though he was fully God? But when he was on earth, he was fully man, tempted as we are tempted, made the choices that he made, believing that God would take care of him, but without full knowledge that he would. That's a very, very sticky, interesting question. We want to touch on that now or touch on that later? Well, I think you're bringing up a great point that Christ, uh, on one hand, prophesied that he would be resurrected from the dead. Uh, theologians have debated how much of, of the deity of the Godhead was residing in Christ while he was on earth. And the, the mysterious doctrine is that Christ was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was born in a human body. We talked about that in one of our former shows, Ross, about, uh, I think, our Christmas show about the fact that Christ had, as God, came as a man. But what the Scripture says is that he laid aside the prerogatives of his deity and instead basically submitted to God's rule in the person of the Holy Spirit, lived life on earth, led by the Spirit, not invoking his own deity. Uh, there's one place where basically he says he could have called angels to defend him uh, when he was talking to Pilate, but he elected not to do that. And so Christ uh, basically knew he was going to the cross, or else he knew he was going to die. But he also knew by faith that he was going to be resurrected. And of course, as we've been saying here on the show, that resurrection event is the watershed event for Christianity. Either it did happen or it didn't happen. See, the key thing you said there was he knew by faith. And that's the same place that we are in. You said in last week's show that there is enough evidence to make someone have a very easy, quote, decision 
to follow Christ, but there's not enough to have someone know absolutely that this is true. So there is that step of faith that has to be taken. And if Jesus was fully man and fully God, if he was fully man when he came to earth, he had to take that step of faith out too. And on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the Garden of Gethsemane, it says in, in one of the passages, I believe in Mark, it says that he sweated and he sweated blood, which indicated that he was he had a, an amount of angst or concern. or But anyhow, he was man at that point. So there are a number of things on the cross, before the cross, where he indicated his, his full humanity and not just his... Uh, is fully kingship. So very, very interesting. Uh, yeah, yes, it is. And, and the thing that's so amazing is this happened in the Jewish holiday of the Passover. Uh, and, it, you know, we haven't got time in this show to go back and unpack all of the Old Testament references to this. But basically, the, the Jewish faith believed that God was going to provide a Passover lamb for them. Of course, John the Baptist pointed to Christ at one point in his ministry and said, see that guy over there, that Jesus of Nazareth? He is the lamb of God that's coming to take away the sins of the world. And so when Jesus died during Passover week, when he died literally at the at that time when the Jews were looking for their atonement to be provided for them by God, Jesus was dying on the cross for them. And the thing that's so amazing about that historically is the tradition tells us and history tells us that at the very moment of Jesus' death, the veil of the temple, this massive curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn in two from top to bottom. I mean, only... Only God could have torn it from top to bottom, Ross. And so it's evidence that God was accepting the death of his son. Of course, the writer of Hebrews makes a big deal about that, saying that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that we put our faith in. But, Ross, you said something a minute ago that I think that's really important, and that is that faith is something that requires us to trust evidence that's not overwhelming, but that is substantial. And that's the way faith operates. It's not that God has given us enough evidence to overwhelm us with it, but he gives us enough evidence so that good-hearted people who want to know the truth can put their faith in a God who reveals truth. And that's significant, I think. Wow, I think what you just said is uh, is a golden statement. Faith is trust in evidence that is substantial but not overwhelming. So there's still that step of faith. We have to step forward to see if that step is going to be on solid ground. You know, this happened to me just recently. I saw good evidence of this. One of my grandchildren were over at my house, and uh, she was up on... Uh, this uh, area that was uh, above me. And she said, Granddaddy, could I jump to you? And I said, sure, jump to me. I'll catch you. And as soon as I said that, you could see the fear in her eyes because she realized there was this 
this angst, as you said, this stress coming forward because she really wanted to jump into my arms. But at that moment, she realized, whoa, if he doesn't catch me, I'm going to be hurt. And as you could just watch the reasoning take place, not just in her head, but also in her heart. Because at one point she said, hey, daddy, I believe you love me and I don't believe you'll let me fall. And then with that, she jumped. Of course, you know, a guy who's in his 60s, I'm wondering, I sure hope I can catch this kid. <laughs> I did. I did. Nothing would have prevented me from laying my own life down to catch her. But you see what's going on here? She had to have enough faith in my character and in my ability to keep her from hurting herself. And that's exactly what we have to do with God. We have to trust that he's good enough, he's powerful enough, he's wise enough, and he's taken all the steps necessary to ensure our salvation and any provision that we might need. You know, going back to, if I could add a little bit to that story, I used the same type thing to show my daughter when she was extremely young uh, at that same point. And so I would let her lay on the floor on her back and I say, stiffen up and I'm going to pick you up. So I would take her head and pick her up. And if you can imagine with a stiff body, with her muscles taut, I could pick her up straight. I said, now, okay, I want you to stand there. And then you know that I could catch you by the head or by the back and you would be okay. And I said, are you willing to turn your back to me so you can't see me and trust that you can fall back like that and I will catch you. And I, the same kind of thought, I could see it in her eyes. And she said, yes. I said, why do you trust me? She said, you're my, and what I heard her say, she didn't use this word, you're my Abba father. You're my daddy. You're not going to lie to me. And so she did that and I caught her. And it it was a bonding time between she and I, but it was also an indication of just what that faith step has to be to come to know Christ. And she has used that in teaching three of my grandchildren, her three children at this point. So that's probably a good image, either your your daughter, granddaughter jumping or my granddaughter, my daughter falling back to say, Abba, Father, my father will not let me fall if I take this step. And Ross, what we have to do is, is ratchet that up a little bit because in, in the case of my granddaughter and your daughter, their lives really weren't at stake there. Correct. I mean, they could have been hurt, maybe, maybe a little bit, but probably not seriously. But the, the biblical fact is that mankind is dead without Christ's intervention. It's almost like someone on the 10th floor of a burning building who the fireman urged to leap out into the safety net. And the person is there thinking, oh, my goodness, my choice is either I die by the flames or I die from the fall. And if you didn't trust the competence of the fire people or their integrity, you would never jump. Or if you didn't believe the building was really on fire, you would never jump. And so there's a sense in which mankind has to believe two things for them to put their faith in Christ. The first thing man has to believe is that they're in peril. 
there's something, there's a fire burning in the building. The second thing they have to believe is that God has made a way. He's made the safety net. And that's what's so amazing about this week, about this week of Easter, is it's the historical testimony that God has proven his faithfulness. And he's also proven the fact that man is separated from him in danger, in peril, unless man comes back to him. This week is amazing about both of those facts. And sometimes we want to believe that God's good and faithful, but we don't want to believe that we're in peril. But the Scripture teaches both of those things simultaneously. So we're also saying that Jesus was in peril when he was here on earth, that God put him in peril. And again, it goes back to the humanity and the divinity of Christ. If he was truly man in those situations, he did not fully know, but he acted as his father knew he would act in that particular situation. And he gave us a pattern of accepting him through faith as he accepted what his father told him by faith also. Well, Ross, I really agree with you that Christ also exercise faith, faith in his Father. There's a passage in Scripture that says, He who knew no sin, that is Christ, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Something happened on that cross that is beyond our ability as humans to understand it. And that is that the eternal Creator, God the Son, died and was separated because of our sin from God the Father, just, in a sense, becoming sin so that we might be freed from sin. And to prove that that sacrifice was accepted, God raised him from the dead. And that's the evidence. And that's why this week is so amazing. Well, you know, I know that we have people out there listening to this who might be saying either... I don't believe that. Prove it to me. Uh, I'm trying to believe that. I've thought about this. You've raised some issues that I'm not exactly sure of. But And many of them may have a viewpoint of some of the five or six or seven basic reasons why uh, of refutation or of an attempt to refute the claims of Christians about the birth, death, in resurrection of Christ. Maybe you could hit those in just very quickly, Bob, and then I'd like to tie it all together before we end this show by giving people an opportunity to look again at the the saving grace of Christ. Well, Ross, I, you know, it's true that throughout history, uh, people have recognized that everything does rise and fall in the resurrection. And in fact, there was a guy, a, 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 a Brit, named Albert Henry Ross, who wrote a book under the pseudonym Frank Morrison called Who Moved the Stone? Uh, Frank Morrison basically realized and, and rationalized that if he could prove that the resurrection was a hoax, that everything about Christianity would, would basically fall apart. And unfortunately, as he began to study the evidence, instead of being able to refute it, he put his faith in the historical resurrection. But, but throughout history, people have recognized that 
everything rises and falls on this fact that Christ came back from the dead. And here's the thing that I would I would basically point out to everybody. That is that nobody could produce a body. Nobody could produce the body. If if the Romans or the Jews had wanted to refute the claims of Christ or the claims of the disciples, all they had to do was produce the body, but they couldn't produce it. And so in an argument against that, there have been sort of, you know, four or five theories that have come up about what what happened to the body. The the first theory is that it's all a myth. There never was a body. There never was a resurrection. There never even was a crucifixion. The whole thing was just stories that were made up. But that's just so incontrovertibly false because this happened in history. There were people alive at the time who could give eyewitness accounts both for and against it. And so that's, we can rule that out. There's too much evidence to support the fact that Jesus did live. He was crucified by the Romans. The, the, the second theory is that he didn't really die on the cross. He just sort of fainted and they put him in a tomb and he revived and he came back basically and went into Arabia or someplace else. There's some real problems with that. I mean, there were guards outside the tomb. What did he do? Did he beat those guys up? What about the two-ton stone? Uh, you know, the, the Romans put a spear in his heart. How, how did he recover from that? Yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's asinine. The, the third, a third one is that the disciples stole the body. The problem with that one is that these guys were cowards. They're going to steal the body and then go out and die for the lie that they stole the body. All of them died as martyrs. And there's some other ones, you know, that they hallucinated. My, my favorite one is that the women on Easter Sunday went to the wrong tomb. They just got confused. They thought they were going to Forest Lawn and they went to Forest Acres. Sub, you know, well, the problem with the with the theory that the women went to the wrong tomb is that not only did they go to the wrong tomb, but the disciples must have gone to the wrong tomb. Now, wait a minute. The Romans must have gone to the wrong tomb, and the Jews went to the wrong tomb, and everybody who could have purportedly produced the body, they all got confused. I mean, within two or three days, everybody forgot where he was buried. That's that's so foolish, it's not even worth thinking about. But the fact is, and we've said this before, it's not that there's not enough evidence to believe. It's that there's not enough evidence to convince people who don't want to believe. And that gets back to the moral issue, the heart issue we've been talking about, Ross. That's part of worldview. At some point, our hearts are involved. And um, we'll have to save that for another another uh, another another program but you know I would just appeal to all of our listeners to ask yourself the question you know are you willing to believe are you willing to believe in in Christ as not just the historical Messiah but as the only one who can make atonement for sins I think to give a to give a good reason for doing so you have numerous accounts written over various periods of time in the four gospels and in other parts of the of scripture Paul in 1 Corinthians that Bob read last show uh, indicated 
that we're lay, as Christians, it's all being laid on the line. Either you believe this resurrection story or you don't. If you don't, if the resurrection story is a lie, then the entirety of Christianity has to be thrown out. But if it is the truth, then at least you have to give consideration to the entirety of the message of Jesus Christ. So let's just look at it. There are numerous historical there, there is numerous historical evidence to the fact that Christ was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day. The four or five reasons not to believe that don't seem to hold good hold water. You have to really go out on a limb to believe any one of these particular things. There are a number of people who saw this, who swore to it afterward, and they died believing that, and they died because they believed that and because they stated who Christ was, and they told this story. So you may live for a lie, but very few people would die for a lie. And so there is mounting evidence that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he is alive. The there is no other religious belief where the the core of that belief system, that worldview, did rise from the dead. None of the others can make that claim. So if you're listening to this and you decide this is something I need to consider, certainly you can write us at Big Brains Media. And we'll certainly respond either on the show or we will respond in person. But all this, to to become a Christian, you have to say, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I am willing to repent of my sin. And I know that without a repentance from my sin, I cannot reach heaven and be a child of God. And I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I have come to the point where I do believe this and I will take that step of faith out. If you feel that way, you can stop your car and pull over. Um, uh, But I would suggest that if you believe that, investigate it further, accept the, the claims of Jesus Christ. He is Abba Father. He will not let any of us down. Thank you so much, Bob. Our time is up. I hope that these two shows on Easter and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ have been meaningful to at least one person out there, if not many, many more. We thank Big Brains Media for the opportunity of being on this show. And Bob, I thank you for being my partner, being my friend over all these years. And uh, for the many times we've prayed together and cried together and laughed together over many things about the tensions of life. And we are grateful for the many things that we have, the blessings we have. Come back and be with us next time. Thank you so much. This has been Worldview Matters, brought to you by Big Brains Media. To leave feedback for Ross or Bob, visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com.